Luke chapter 23, the Gospel of Luke chapter 23, and then I want you to locate Psalm 31, those two places in that order, Luke chapter 23, and then Psalm 31. Hope you'll write some things down. I, I believe this will help you. This will be the, uh, the last message in the seven statements of Jesus that he made when he was on the cross. And I'm excited about it today because I know that the Lord will give you some help. One of uh, the surprises I had, I suppose I shouldn't have been surprised, but as a pastor when I got into the ministry was how much that I would be around death. Uh, early on, I was in Madison and my pastor would be out of town. It was I was around it when he was in town. But when he was out of town, I would uh, stand in for him and be at the hospital and then in funeral homes. And that's held true all the way until today. And a pastor is one that uh, must be a comforter. If a pastor does not have a heart, he doesn't need to be a pastor. He needs to learn how to identify with people and grieve with people and help them. Joseph Parker, he was a British preacher in England. He made this statement. It's often quoted. Here's what he said. He who speaks to broken hearts will never lack for congregation. He who speaks to broken hearts will never lack for congregation. He's speaking to other pastors and, of course, the importance of talking about sorrow and hurt and adversity. And Boy, I, I agree with him. Uh, I could preach on adversity every every Sunday for a year and be able to, to help people. But I want to talk to you today about death, a very difficult issue, one that people don't want to talk about, much less think about. But it's something that the Bible speaks very honestly about. I read an article this past week, a very interesting article about, uh, in fact, it's located in the American Journal of Medicine. And it was a discovery, some research they had done about terminally ill patients. And what they had done, they were trying to uh, get some information, and they did it in a uh, a way that was not intrusive upon their, their privacy but they aimed cameras at the doorways, not in the room, but at the doorways of terminally ill patients, uh, many, many patients in a particular hospital in New York City. And they tracked the number of minutes that they spent alone of these patients that were dying. And here's a conclusion they made that more than 18 hours a day, no one was in the room of these particular patients that were dying. Nurses checked in on patients dozens of times, of course, but uh, no one, on an average, no nurse was in there for more than two minutes at a time, which is understandable. Doctors averaged uh, about three visits a day, various doctors, and they were there for about three minutes a day. And family members and loved ones averaged about 24 minutes per day. And that was the only visits that they had was over five minutes had to be with uh, loved ones and family members. And when they interviewed these, these patients that were dying, they discovered that their greatest fear was isolation and abandonment. Isolation and abandonment, and that's exactly what they experienced in their last days in the hospital, 18 hours a day alone with, with no one. We want to ignore death. We don't want to think about it. We dress it up. You go to the funeral home, you go to the graveside, and almost universally they cover the dirt from the grave up. They put some uh, turf over it, some green turf. They cover it up with flowers. And we try to act like it's better than it is. 
But the Bible deals with it head on. It deals with it honestly. The word death and its derivatives, dying, dead, and so forth, are used over 1,200 times in the Bible. And not just in a descriptive way, like so-and-so died, that's used sometimes, but in an informative way. The Bible teaches about death. It talks about it, not just the fact of it, but what it is and what happens when people die. Now, God has an answer for every malady in the human experience. Maybe not directly, but categorically. And it's always found in the Word of God and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the theme of the gospel, the theme of the Lord Jesus Christ when He died on the cross, and listen to this because this is the theme of this message as we get into it, is that Jesus died so that you do not have to fear dying. That's why He died. He died when He paid the debt so that you would not have to fear dying. And so that when your loved ones die, that you would not have to to be afraid so that you could go to the open grave. And though your heart will grieve, that you will know that there's hope for you. And there's hope, there's an expectation for them. Now there's three truths that the Word Word of God gives us here in the text. We want to look at in Luke chapter 23, if you look there with me. When Jesus was on the cross, notice in verse 44... Luke twenty three forty four, and it was about the the sixth hour. This is noon. Uh, they begin to count their day uh, at sunup, which was about six in the morning. So the sixth hour would be noon. You add six hours to that. The first hour being six a.m. Six hours noon, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. This is when Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 45, And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. This is when God opened the temple in a symbolic way to let us know that the penalty of sin had been paid and his righteousness had been satisfied, that Jesus paid it all. All to him I go. Sin had left a... A crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And notice here, now when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, this is at the ninth hour, this is three hours later. For those three hours from noon until three o'clock, there was darkness over the land. And at the end of that time, three o'clock in the afternoon, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father... These are the last words he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I want to say that again. Notice these words are full of meaning. Father, into thy hands, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he, our Lord Jesus, he gave up the ghost. The word ghost there means spirit. He gave up his spirit. Now, there's three truths from this text that we learn. I gave one of them last week. Number one, Jesus died physically. He died physically. Now, you say, well, well, Pastor, that's obviously he died physically. But here's why I say that. We we speak so much about the death of Jesus that we, we do not assign to that word the same meaning as we have to our death or to the human experience. Jesus was... God, but he was also man. And when Jesus died, he died as a man. And the same effects that a person, that a human experiences, that you will experience if Jesus tarries, the Lord Jesus Christ experienced because it was the price of sin. And he conquered all those effects when he died. I told you last week that His heart stopped beating. His brain stopped functioning. His body turned cold. Rigor mortis set in. He literally died physically for those three days until the morning of the resurrection. 
And he knows what it means to die physically. And today he is still a man. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. He is our mediator where we can go to him and we can pray. And he experienced life though he was the God man. He was man. Never sinned. Limited his his deity, though he was deity, he limited his expressions of deity so that he could live as a man dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And he died physically. There's another truth, and I want to deal with that this morning. Secondly, Jesus died trusting his Father. He died trusting his Father. You'll notice there in the text in verse 46, he says, Father, 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 don't miss that, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And all through these these seven statements that he made, in fact, all through his life, you see him trusting his Father. But in his last hours upon the earth, you see this this faith that he had, even when even when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In the moment of his, his greatest crisis and his greatest burden when he came to, to God, and he didn't call him God, he called him our Father, he called him God. He, he came to God with his burden. And now, right before he dies, it calls him, he calls him Father. It's a statement of suffering, a statement of trust. And he died trusting his father. I want you to look in your Bible there in verse 46. Father, into thy hands I commend, I commend my spirit. What does that mean to commend your spirit? I commend my spirit. Does that mean recommend? Like you recommend someone for a job? That's not what it means. I commend my spirit. The word commend means to make a deposit. It means to entrust something of value, to commit something that's important to you to someone else for safekeeping. And he was entrusting his spirit to his father for safekeeping because his body was about to be dead. Father, into thy hands I I command, I entrust my spirit to you for safekeeping. I want to show you another place where this word is used in a book of suffering in 1 Peter, the book of Peter. You ought to familiarize yourself with the book of 1 Peter, especially today. Read it often. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 19. Peter said, let them that suffer according to the will of God. Are you going through some adversity today and you don't know why? You're not doing wrong. God's not chastening you. You're going through something? Let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him, to to your Father, in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. You can trust Him. He's faithful. He created you. He's sovereign. He's good. And the Bible says to commit the keeping of your soul to Him. Now, those three words, commit the keeping, is the same word as commend in Luke chapter 23 and verse 36. When Jesus said, I commend my spirit to my Father, is the same expression when Peter said, I want you to commit the keeping of your soul. In other words, you're entrusting something important to God. And I ask you this morning, have you ever committed your soul and your spirit to God to keep it? Have you ever done that? And we call that being born again or getting saved or trusting Christ as your Savior. And you do that by by believing, by turning from your sin, by turning from your self-life and believing in Jesus as your Savior. Have you ever committed your spirit to God. I love this in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Paul said, 
for the which cause I also suffer these things. He's talking about his, his role as a preacher and as an apostle. He said, I'm suffering some things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed of what God's called me to do. For I know, now watch this, I know whom I have believed. Not just what I have believed, not just doctrine. I have believed on Christ. I have a relationship with Christ. I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded. This is a conviction that I have that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, against the the end day, that day that I die, against the day that I have to meet him. That he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. When Jesus said, Father, I commend unto you my spirit. The word commend is the same word of committed unto him. It's the same word. I'm going to commit my spirit unto you. And here Paul says, Father, I know you. I know Christ. And and I believe that you are able to keep what I have committed unto you. Have you ever, you may not use it this way. You may have called it being saved. I trusted Christ. I was born again. But have you ever committed your soul to Jesus? When I was nine years old, about three months before I turned ten years old, I trusted Jesus as my Savior. February the 18th, 1968. I was on the front pew of my home church. And I bowed my head and I bowed my heart. And I asked Him to, to save me from my sins, save me from myself. And to take me to heaven when I die. And it began a journey in my life. And I believe that I know whom I have believed. And he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. And sometimes I'll, I'll talk to people that are, are struggling with their salvation. And they say, well, I just don't know. And, and I've taught you this in other messages that. Basically, not always, but basically almost every time. They're, they're looking for an experience. They, they want a feeling, not even a, a strong feeling. They're, they're, they don't even know what it is, but they're looking for some type of a feeling. And I'll come back to Second Timothy off in one twelve here. And I say, do you have a bank account? I say, well, yes, I do. I say, well, did you... When did you get paid? I don't want to know how much, but when did you get paid? They'll tell me. I said, did you put your check in, in the bank? Now, now they do deposits different ways. I understand that, but the principle is the same. And they'll tell me. I said, okay, so you, you had it put in the bank. I said, now two days later, did you call the bank and ask them, now, now do you have my check? Are you sure? Did you apply it? And is, and is it there? And they, they, every time, they, well, no, I didn't do that. But then a couple of days later, you did that, didn't you? No, I didn't do that. But are you saying the bank has a better name than, than God? He said he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He is able to keep your soul. He's able to keep your spirit. He's able to to keep your name on the record of life. And yet you won't call the bank. You're trusting the bank, but you won't trust him. And it's like a light comes on. But you know what happens? Many times, a few weeks later, they'll, they'll doubt again because... There's just something about this thing of eternity and death that hovers over them because they know they'll get paid again, but they only, if I die, I've got to give an account. Listen, have you ever committed your spirit to the good name of God in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross? That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Faith in God makes the difference during your time to die. If you're trusting the church, 
If you're trusting your baptism, if you're trusting your good works, you're on shaky ground. In fact, you're not going to heaven. In the back of your mind, if you're wondering, when I, I, I just don't know if, I, if I'm fully trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior. You need to come to Him and put your weight on Christ. And just say, God, I'm trusting You. I'm not trusting anything else. I've been baptized. I've been a church member. I try to do good works, but I'm not trusting any of that. I committed my spirit. I committed my soul. I gave it to God. He's going to take care of me. Now, there's three reasons you can trust your father when death comes, and they're here in the text. Number one, when Jesus died, he had his father's presence. Presence. His father was with him. Three times on the cross, when Jesus spoke, he addressed his his father, his first statement, his last statement, the middle statement. His first statement was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His middle statement was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His last statement was, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Even, as I said before, even when he said, My God, my God, it's a statement of trust. Listen, even when you come to God... In a spirit of despondency, sometimes in a spirit of complaint, in a spirit of burden. It's a spirit of trust. You have nowhere else to go. I read the Psalms when David said, God, where are you? God, wake up. How long? How long? You read these statements of David and Asaph and others who wrote the Psalms. And and there, I read Psalm 88 the other day and and it's the only psalm that I, I know of that doesn't end in any victory. And it's a psalm of darkness. The word darkness is used over and over again. And it's a psalm of just, just honesty where this man is coming to God and he's saying, God, I'm in darkness. Nothing is working out. And in all these psalms, you, you see the hinge point where it turns around. Not in Psalm 88. But it's a blessed psalm because it's how sometimes you get in a situation and, and, and you, you get to the end of your prayer and, and you feel like there's no resolution. But Jesus was in the darkness with you. And he ends this prayer with the Father's presence. Father, Father, into your hands. I'm trusting you. I commend my spirit. Father, He had His Father's presence. Now we're talking about Jesus' death. And there are parallels for your death. Jesus often referred to His Father. The very first statement He ever made, the first words of the Lord Jesus Christ are when He was 12 years old. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 49, here's what He said. He talked to His parents. He said, how is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not, the word wist, old English word, know ye not that I must be about my, my father's business? Now, he'd been trained to be a carpenter by his stepfather, Joseph. But he's not talking to Joseph. He's not talking to Mary about his stepfather. He's talking about his heavenly father because he was talking to the, the rabbis there in Jerusalem. He's talking about his heavenly father. My father, he's talking about his father. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, three chapters in the Bible, 17 times, 17 times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses the word father. Father, 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 Father. Over and over and over and over and over again. A term of relationship, a term of intimacy. In John chapter 17, the the high priestly prayer, the true Lord's prayer, not the model prayer that he gave us. 
But when Jesus prayed for us the night before he died, six times he calls him father. Over 175 times in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he calls him father. Over and over and over again, father. And here at the close of his life, in Luke chapter 23 and verse 46, he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. My favorite name for our Lord is Father. And I think one reason for that is, is my, my father, my earthly father, gave me a good example of my heavenly father. My daddy wasn't perfect. My dad was a, a merciful man. He was a holy man. He was a consistent and a faithful man. And I didn't have to crawl over a bunch of glass and garbage to, to get out of my mind. I was talking to my brother-in-law a while back after my sister passed away about this. and He said, Melanie used to tell me that she would counsel people that had this bad image of, of God as their father because of their earthly father. And Bill said that Melanie said, you know, I, I never had that trouble because of my dad. I said, Bill, I, I've told our church that before. And I said, I, I hate to do it because I know so many people had a, a difficult relationship with their father. And, and I don't want to use that like a taunt, though it's never meant to be that way. Maybe you didn't have a good relationship with your Heavenly Father. Listen, your, 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 your Heavenly Father is the perfect, is your perfect Father. He's a good Father. He's a faithful Father. And He's with you all of your days as your Father. All of your days. And at the end of your life, as he was with the Lord Jesus, when Jesus said, Father, into my hands, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Your heavenly Father will be there. We sang the song this morning. We opened it up. It's based on Psalm 23. And I just want to pull out this verse from Psalm 23 and verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death... This literally was a, they call it the, the shadow of death. Though I walk, by the way, a shadow can't hurt you. Shadows can't hurt you. They look like they can. They're scary. And you can't have a shadow without a light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Shadows look scary, but they can't hurt you. And one day we all, unless Jesus comes for us, we're going to have to walk through that valley of the shadow of death. And Jesus said, listen, he said, I will fear no evil. The writer said, for, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. These were the tools of the shepherd. They're protective tools. I have comfort. My shepherd is with me. My father, my shepherd father is with me. He lays down his life for me. My father's with me. This is not something that he alienates himself from me and says, you've got this one on your own. When it comes your time to die and you have committed your soul to Jesus, you commend yourself to him again. You don't have to say it, but he's there. He's with you. Psalm 116 in verse 15, the Bible says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. You ever thought about that verse? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. The word precious there, we get the idea of a precious stone. It has the idea of highly valuable, extremely important. That's very precious to me. It belongs 
peculiar, peculiarly, I can't hardly say, it's peculiar to me. It's very special to me. It's important. It's highly valuable to me. My wife is precious to me. We are precious to God. He gave His precious blood for us. You are precious to God. And your death is precious to Him because you are precious to Him. Now look at this. Precious in the sight of the Lord. When it comes your time to die, he, He's not only aware of it, He's watching it. The sight of the Lord. Oh, He's there. He's attentive. It's valuable. And it's not, it's not the death, it's the person. He's taking you to a, to a very precious place. He's taking you to a precious person, to the Son of God. He's taking you to precious people, to, to other believers, to your family that knows God. And so when Jesus said, when Jesus said, Father, I, I commend unto you my spirit, he had, he had the Father's presence. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Oh, child of God, listen, you don't, I understand there, there's, it's like my sister told me, she said, Rick, I'm not afraid to die. I don't want to leave my kids and my grandkids and my husband. There's things I want to do, but I'm not afraid to die. And if you're a Christian, we're not afraid to die. It's the process. It's the means. We, there's question marks there, but I'm going to tell you, when you get there, the Bible says this, Thou art with me in the valley of the shadow. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. You have His presence. When it came time to die, Jesus not only had His Father's presence, He had His Father's promise. His Father's promise. See. Rick, what do you mean by that? Well, when he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, he was quoting from the Old Testament. I want you to mark your place in in Luke 23. We'll come back there. And I want you to turn to Psalm 31. He was quoting from David. When David had written Psalm 31, which is a, a psalm of adversity... David was in trouble. We won't look at the whole psalm. We'll come back and forth to it. But I want you to look in verse 4. Psalm 31, 4. David said, Pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me, for thou art my strength. He said, God, they're after me. They're trying to take me down, but God, you're my strength. And David said this, into thine hand I commit my spirit. That's what Jesus was quoting on the cross from Psalm 31 and verse 5 in Luke 23, 46. Into thy hand I commit my spirit. And then David continued, he said, thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Now Jesus didn't quote this because he didn't need to be redeemed. He had never sinned, but... Just watch this, just as David was entrusting himself to his father, Jesus, when he said, into thine hand, I commit my spirit, I commend my spirit, it's the same idea. He was entrusting himself to his father based upon the promise of God, that God, I can trust you. In this moment. You know, it's interesting that every time that Jesus prayed on the cross, all of them were rooted in Scripture. Every one of them. The first time he prayed, his first prayer, when he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. He was quoting from Isaiah 53, 12. When the Bible says he made intercession for the transgressors. And he took the promise of God and he applied it to others. When he prayed in 
Matthew chapter 27, and he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was quoting from David in Psalm 22 and verse 1, which is, he said literally the same words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When David felt that way, have you ever understood that? To be forsaken of God? And he was so familiar with the Word of God, Jesus was. He was the incarnate Word. Beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was so familiar with the Word. And his life was based on the Word. He quoted the Scriptures in these prayers. And then here in Luke 23, 46, when he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, he quoted Psalm 31 and verse 5. And so he, he, he knew the word, he was obedient to the word, and watch this, it came time to die, and he was resting in the word, in the promises of God. He had the promises of God. Do you know the word of God? You know, that, that's so important for you to have your time alone with the Lord, that you're writing things down, that you're memorizing scripture, that you're meditating upon the word of God. It's why you need to come to church so you can understand things. Listen, that's why I explain things. That this word means this. This week I was spending time with someone and helping them discipleship. And I said, now this word means this. And they would write it down. It's not just so I can give them the meaning of the word. It's, I want you to know this so you will be able to practice this. So you can understand this. So you can live this. And it's crucial so that you can come to church so you can get this. Listen, because one day you're going to die. And you're going to wish that you had a strong foundation. Your father's going to be with you, but some of you, watch, you're not going to sense his presence because you don't know his promises. I remember a precious lady in our church that one of our men had won to Christ and and she was on her deathbed and and she had about five or six weeks to live and boy she was struggling with her salvation and I would go in and talk to her and she, you could just see the terror on her face and I asked her I said well now well let me ask you a question when when Mr. So-and-so came over and he talked to you and Here's what the Bible says. Did you do this? She said, well, yes. So if you were to die, where would you? She said, oh, I would go to heaven. You could see see the anxiety just melt off of her. She would become relaxed. It was like as long as I was there quoting it, bless her heart, she, she wasn't familiar with the word of God. And I was glad, I was glad to come in there and help her. And I I would do that gladly. I'm not complaining about it. But I grieve for her. She went through so much unnecessary angst and anxiety because she didn't know the promises of God. When it came time for Stephen to die because he preached the word of God and they took up stones, these rocks, and they began to hurl them at him. And they stoned him to death. The last things on his lips were the promises of God. Acts chapter 7 and verse 59. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I want to ask you a question. Where did he get that from? He got it from Jesus. Now, this is not long after Jesus died, but people were talking about what Jesus, he, he got peace in his death because of what Jesus had said. Look what else he said, verse 60. And Stephen kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, or that's the word for death for Christians, their body sleeps. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Where did he get that from? 
These two statements are, are two statements that Jesus made on the cross. Apparently, the early church was quoting the things that Jesus said when he was on the cross. Stephen paid attention. And when it came time for him to die, he didn't know he was going to die that day. He found great comfort in the words of Jesus. Oh, listen, my my precious friend, when it comes time to cross over, you're going to wish or you're going to be glad that these precious words in the Word of God are your words. Familiarize yourself with them now. Read your Bible now. Meditate upon it now. Memorize it now. Go to church now. Listen now. Pay attention now. You're going to wish you had this when it comes your time to die. I remember I was had a very troublesome uh, surgery. And um, I was very anxious about it. And initially there was just there was this very troublesome spot in my heart. And then I said, Lord, what do I tell other people to do? And when I go in, I, I have told them for decades something like this. Have you ever tried to memorize verses? And some of them say no. I said, well, I want to help you with one. It's Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. Thou wilt keep him perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. It's easy to memorize. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. I would say it three or four times. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, because his mind is stayed on thee. Verse 4 says, because he trusteth in thee. I don't give him that because it's too much at the time. And I remember laying in that room waiting on them to carry me away. And I said, Lord, that verse is good for me too. And I just began to quote it for me. And I I began to calm myself with the same words that I'd comforted others with. My precious mom when she had that heart problem, we didn't know what it was, but it just came upon her suddenly. She was here on December the 8th, 2019 in church and faithfully serving God. And then Hoss took her to the hospital. We were in Houston and my, one of my grandkids was getting baptized. He called me, said, I, I've taken mom to the emergency room. We already had a flight the next day. We were coming back. And we, our flight, Melanie's flight, got here about the same time, within minutes of each other. Hoss picked us up. We went to the hospital Monday night. And uh, Tuesday afternoon, it became very apparent that she, she was very sick. And she was bleeding to death because of a rupture in her blood vessel near her heart. And the surgeon said, if it was my mom, I would have had her in three or four hours ago. And if she doesn't have this done, she'll die in two or three hours. So we all knew what needed to be done. And so I remember my mom looked at me at the foot of the bed. She said, what should I do? It was very obvious, but we had about 40 minutes with her trying to hurry through this. And then she said this. She said, I'm going to be okay. She said, I have two addresses, 1101 Retlaw Street, and I have an address in heaven, and either one is fine with me. She said, whatever happens is good with me. And my mom, not because she was a good person, but because she loved Christ and she had been born again. And she knew the promises of God. About three weeks later, we met with the the surgeon that did the operation, Melanie and Hoss and myself and Paula, in a little office. And... uh, 
Melanie asked the doctor, I guess what a girl lady would ask about a mother. So what was my mother's disposition before you put her under? And he said, well, she was, she was fine. She, she was very calm. And I believe my mom was, was under, under the authority and under the comfort of the Word of God. The Lord Jesus had the Father's presence. He had His promise. Number three, He had the Father's protection. He had the Father's protection. Notice again in Psalm 31, when Jesus said in Luke 23, Father, into Thy hands, into Thy hands, into Thy hands I commit my spirit. Into Thy hands. Hands are a place of trust, they're a place of confidence, they're a place of strength. I always loved my dad's hands, big hands. They protected us. In Psalm 139, he talks about God's omnipotence, His omniscience, His omnipresence, these big words, God is big. I preached a message one time on the hands of God. And in the midst of all of this bigness of God, in Psalm 139 and verse 5, it says, God, you have beset me behind and before. You're behind me, before me, and laid thine hand upon me. Lord, though you're omniscient, you're omnipotent, you're omnipresent, you put your hand on me. And then in verse 10, in the same chapter, Psalm 139, Even there shall thy, thy hand lead me like a child. Your hand will lead me. And thy right hand shall hold me. Your hand. Hands. Father, into thy hand. Don't miss this. The Father's protection. Into thy hand. I commend my spirit. In the weeks leading up to Calvary, Jesus had warned his disciples about what's going to happen. And in an uncanny way, he mentioned the same things. In Matthew seventeen twenty-two, while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands, into the hands of of men. In Matthew 26 and 45 in Gethsemane, then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed in the hands, the hands of sinners. Again, in, in, in Gethsemane, in Matthew 26, 50, Jesus said unto them, He's talking about Judas. Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they, and they laid hands on Jesus, and they took him. Matthew 26 and verse 67, In the high priest's court, then did they spit in his face, and they buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands. He was in the hands of sinners. With their hands they crafted a crown of thorns, and with their hands they pressed it in his brows. With their hands they, they picked up a, a scourge, and they beat his back to bloody pulp, where he didn't look like a human. And with their hands they took long spikes, and took a hammer with their hands, and began to pound it into his feet, and into his hands. But after all of that, in the hands of sinners, after all of that suffering, now he's in the Father's hands. And in Psalm 31 in verse 8, when Jesus quoted in verse 5, look, look what he says in Psalm 31, what David said in this psalm that Jesus knows and he quoted from. Look at verse 8. And has not... Shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. Anytime he speaks about a room, it's a, it's a place of opportunity. 
You've given me a, a, a place of opportunity. Now, this is David saying, David's talking about this. God, you put me in a tough place, but you've also given me an opportunity. Notice in verse 14, Psalm 31 and verse 14. But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God. This is the same Psalm Jesus quoted from. My times, my times are in thy hand. When it comes time to die, your times are in God's hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that that persecute me. The word times, it's a specific time. It's an allocated time of day. It's morning, evening, afternoon. It's, It's 11, 14, 10, 19. It's a very specific time. My times are in thy hand. Every part of every day is in his hand. My times... My times are in his hand. When Jesus is quoting here, he says, Into thy hand I commit my spirit. He's very familiar with with Psalm 31. And he's giving his, his soul, his spirit, and trusting to the protection of God at the end of his life. Before him are religious people, a crowd that's mocking him. He has a bloody back, a beaten brow, suffering untold pain. But his spirit is preserved because the Father is protecting him. I didn't know this, but when my... uh, Mom, right before they took mom out, Melanie told me that she pulled her down and said, Melanie, are they, are they going to open my chest? Are they going to cut my chest open? And there was some angst, there was some fear. Because you, you don't think about that. Nobody in here thinks about that. But when you go into surgery, you're thinking, oh my. But the Father, the Father protects you. I remember my best friend David died, and me and my dad walked in to identify his body. A drunk driver hit him. He was, he just turned 21 years old the night before. He was going to be at my wedding in two months. And his mother asked if we would go up and identify his body. And they pulled the sheet down there in Huntsville Hospital. And there was my my best friend. Jimmy knows him. In fact, in the ninth grade, Jimmy's standing by him in a football picture. And his eyes are half open in death. He still had the the things on him to take his EKG. He's got blood. And the grief and my father and myself standing there, he's like my brother. It's like it was yesterday. But when I walked out, I had peace. I won my buddy to Jesus in the ninth grade. I won David to Jesus. I watched my my grandmother and my sister suffer. But the father, they were in the father's hands. When my my mom went to see the nurses that took care of the where my father died, and she said, I want to know what happened. We weren't here when she fed him and she left. And 30 minutes after he left, Daddy had a massive heart attack. And he struggled and he couldn't breathe. And they gave him some epinephrine and some things. And gradually he lost consciousness and then he passed away. 
but he was alert for a little bit. And the nurse said, uh, well, Miss Johnson, when we laid your husband down, because he was sitting up, we were working on him. She said he looked up, and when his left hand, he started pointing up. He started pointing up. Now, I don't know what my daddy saw, but he saw someone. He saw something. Father's protection. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. They shall never perish. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them, Jesus said, out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Oh, you're in His hand. It's a good hand. It's a strong hand. The tribe in Africa, that when people there die that are Christians... They don't say he has departed. They say he has arrived. I was uh, I was on a trip with a friend of mine, and we had a long layover. We were at the Cleveland Airport in Cleveland, Ohio. About a three-hour layover, and. I got tired of sitting. I said, will you watch my bags? I just need to walk. So my buddy just watched my stuff. I got up and walked, walked down the way there. And I came and I saw a really sad sight. This is before 911 when people could still come and greet people at the gate, you know, tell them goodbye and greet people. There was a time when you could do that. And... There was a soldier there. He had his uniform on. He had his big bag there. And there was a mother with her arms just wrapped around her soldier boy, weeping. He was going back to his assignment. And he looked so sad. And there was a father that had his hand on his back. He couldn't even look at his boy. He was looking down. And I got a respectful distance, and I just watched them and just kind of grieved. I thought, well, this is, this is so tough. This is so sad. So sad. Then I just walked for a little bit and then came back. When I came back, they were gone. On my way back to meet my friend who was watching my stuff, I saw another view. There was a... I saw a mother, and she had two little children. And they were waiting on the other side of the gate. And those little kids were, boy, they were amped up, and they were jumping, and they were so excited. Little tiny girls, they were so excited. And the mother, she was excited. She was kind of bent over holding the girls like wild horses, and they were just excited. And all of a sudden, the the people began to exit the plane. And then she kept looking, and all of a sudden, Dad came off the plane. And then she she saw it, and and then she pushed them towards Dad, and they leapt up into his arms. And then she went and she greeted him. That was a blessing. Then I went on. I got to thinking, man, what an airport. Go some places, and it's sad. Goodbye. Then other places, it's, hello, I missed you. I got to thinking about death. Down here, we we say goodbye. You know, for a Christian, you never say goodbye for the last time. But you do say goodbye for a while, for a while. But there's another shore And I don't know if they put bulletins up in heaven and say, hey, at 3.42 tomorrow afternoon. I kind of want to think they have some kind of an announcement. And there's, oh man, it's getting time. It's getting close. And all of a sudden when they walk through those gates or however however it happens, 
and, and all of those reunions that take place. And over here we say, there they go. But on the other shore, they say, they have arrived. Death is real. But for the Christian, it's a blessing. Until then, we've got work to do. We need not fear death because Jesus conquered death. Should you to bow your heads with me?